Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello, folks, and welcome to the Tennis Podcast. It's sort of midweek edition time because it's a, a, a combined Masters 1000. And that's what we do at these events. We give you two podcasts in a week. So, uh, you know, you're welcome. Um, but uh, we have uh, Catherine Whitaker, who is in Madrid. We've got Matt Roberts and myself, who are very much not. It is obviously very late at night because that's what tennis does. And tennis is happening. Of course it is. Catherine is back in her hotel room. Uh, after a couple of days in Madrid. And I know it's not your very favourite venue, Catherine, but blimey, the tennis has been all right. It has, yeah. It's. It, I think the quality of the tennis has been extremely high. Look, there, there are lots of things I really like about this tournament. It's just so aesthetically ugly. <laughs> and that <laughs> is something that you can't really change and it's such a shame because um that yeah so many of the other things are brilliant it's just you know you can't close your eyes and watch tennis <laughs> um but look we all we all know that the magic box slash cheese grater slash aircraft hanger slash inexplicable uh crate type thing is an acquired taste um there's no need there's no need for me to harp on that any more than I just have for the last minute and a half. Um yeah, we can fo- I mean they they've there's they've put some flowers in and and around to to cozy it up a bit. Um yeah, it it's un it's aesthetically displeasing but in other respects very pleasing. Mm, okay. <laughs> well put. I, I always think of them as the Carlos Alcaraz flowers because they're the ones that he always tries to put opponents in when he tries to do that standing out wide position kick serve to the backhand, Matt. That thing, I mean, it's it's nigh on unreturnable. Yeah, and it's it's becoming a trademark of his and it's especially effective in Madrid, isn't it? I remember last year seeing it and he was doing it to Novak Djokovic, of all people, who was struggling to return that serve. I did quite enjoy Laura Robson on, on commentary the other day, slagging off the flowers, or oh. maybe not so much the flowers, but the fact that they're right in the view of the people who sort of have the best seats in the house. So even if you've got the best seats, you've sort of got a flower pot in front of you and a sort of obstructed view from row one. 
Laura, they're the only things that aren't grey. <laughs> save, save the flowers, please. I love it. Okay, uh, well, we're going to talk about all the tennis that has taken place in the last three days since we last spoke to you. I, I was slightly worried that we wouldn't have much to talk about, and then three days in the tennis world go by, and um, we're, we're, we've actually started to delete things from the running order and save them for Monday's show. <laughs> it's that, that kind of uh, that kind of sport, folks. Uh, but at least it gives us plenty to talk about. Uh, before we get into it all, I want to remind you that we are sponsored by On Location, the premium hospitality and experience provider. On Location provides packages via Steve Fergal's international tennis tours to all four of the Grand Slam tournaments, including the U.S. Open, which is on sale now with some fantastic tickets to watch the action from the uh, year's final Grand Slam tournament at Flushing Meadows in New York you can get a hospitality package that'll help you really lap it all up in style you can sit in a lounge or a rooftop bar in between matches and enjoy all-inclusive food and drinks you can you can I'm telling you (laughs) and Catherine we have a 5% discount for tennis podcast listeners for the US Open. How about that? Where for, are the rooftop- uh, one of I'm a real packages. sucker for a rooftop bar. Where are they? Well, Let's go there. I'll show you when we get there. Okay. How about okay. that? Yeah, uh, deal. I'll, I'll get on location to give us a guided tour. Yep. Um, so anyway, if you'd like to join Catherine in a rooftop bar, <laughs> no promises, <laughs> just in theory, um, but, you know, might happen, uh, we have a f- 5% discount for you uh you just need to go to toursfortennis.com forward slash podcast that's tours the number four tennis.com forward slash podcast click the us open discount section and enter the code final slam it's not the final slam ever it's just the final slam of the year the code is final slam to get yourself a five percent discount off your ticket and hospitality package uh, the coupon code Final Slam works when you purchase eligible 2023 US Open ticket and hospitality packages in between May the 4th, 2023, that's today, at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, and May the 31st, 2023, at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time. You can only use the code once. It can't be used with other discounts or previous purchases. You'll see your savings when you add an eligible package to your cart and use the code at the checkout. This offer does not apply to hotel packages or other events from Steve Fergal's International Tennis Tours or on location and its subsidiaries. If you have any questions, email info at toursfortennis.com. See onlocationexp.com's purchase policy for more information. Right. Catherine. I've done my disclaimer. <laughs> I was going to do, a little, over in it three do times. a little sing-song there, but I, I lost confidence in it. I was oh, going to do a, I was going to do a a, re, a a a getaway car rejig with with rooftop bar instead of motel bar. <laughs> Matt knows what I'm talking about, but I, I've lost confidence in it. The, be, be, if you know, you know. You don't need me to sing it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Marvellous. Um, right. Let's get on with talking about the tennis. Uh, the moment we've got Igor Fiontek on the court, just. I, I think just finishing things up against uh, Veronica Kudamatova. She certainly won the first set 6-1. I'm not sure what's going on in the second set. 
Um, two but, one, uh, two one with a break. She she doesn't lose more than one game in a set against Kudamatova. Those seem to be the rules for for poor old right. Veronica. Kudamatova won the coin toss, and it's all been downhill <laughs> from there. And it's that's not my even analysis a coin toss, Matt. Match. Not even a coin mm. toss. Mm. No, it's one of those electronic things, isn't it? Which uh, I saw your eye roll the other day on TV, Catherine. <laughs> I do it every time. Poor old Stefanos Tsitsipas earlier at the coin toss. He looked on the ground for an actual coin. <laughs> bless him. <laughs> I mean, this was a quarter final. I feel like you should know by now. Um, but very relatable, Stefanos. Oh, that is amazing. That is amazing. Uh, Catherine has a, a massive beer in hand at the moment. Um, what, what, what are we drinking, Catherine? Well, it was massive 10 minutes ago. Um, yes, I'm following the Veronica Kudamatova um, method of recovery, uh, which is to, to drink a, a big Spanish beer. Um, and it's it's very lovely. Very, very lovely. Una, una cerveza. Mm, that is... That is part of my limited Spanish vocabulary. And I I lost confidence in that, as I was saying it as well. Look, it's been a long day, all right? I don't need feedback on my Spanish. I mean, it's okay in my eyes, Catherine. I thought you did a splendid job, but then I speak. I can't even say that. So what do you think, Matt? Listen, I am actually not a language (laughs) snob, and Catherine has a beer in hand, so clearly it worked. That is. Thank you very much. Matt. Okay. That is how it goes. I I, I am a, mag, a language slob. <laughs> I like the thought of that. Uh, so magnificent. Anyway, we better start talking about the tennis, or people are just going to be tuning out in their droves. Um, basically, Igor Svantec is flying towards a final meeting with Irina Sabalenka. That's how things look, and. I mean, this really is starting to feel like a rivalry now. I'm, I'm quite happy to just go on record straight away. If you if you both reach the Stuttgart final and you've been winning Grand Slams between you over the last 12 months and it's happening a lot and then you get into another final of this magnitude in, well, back-to-back tournaments, that's a rivalry. This is a rivalry. It's happening is it going to be good? That's the question. Is it going to feel like Sabalenka is in there properly with a chance to win this thing? I mean, I think you two have picked her, haven't you? I did pick Sabalenka from the start. That was uh, slightly perhaps on the thinking that maybe Sviontek wouldn't make it all the way to the final, as we as we spoke about before. Elena Rabatkina going out of that section sort of threw things, threw things open there. But, you know, Sviontek was quite capable of getting through that draw anyway. Uh, I just think the conditions here are really suited to Sabalenka. It's like her her massive shots anyway have just extra on them. And if she's going to do damage against Fiontech on clay, I, I feel like it will be in, in Madrid. So I'm absolutely fascinated to see it. And I completely agree with you. It is sounding like a rivalry. And I think a, a big reason for that is because of something Sabalenka said to Catherine today on the 
Prime coverage in that she wants to face Iga Swiatek. I think I think we always ask tennis players that question with a little bit of trepidation because you you don't know whether they will commit to an answer. But when they do, it's great and you get a real insight into what they're thinking. And Catherine, you asked Sabalenka who she wants to win out of tonight's semi-final between Swiatek and Gunmatova and. She said she wants to play Svantec, she wants revenge, and I think we all just fist-pumped or celebrated however we could. Catherine, you were on air, you couldn't quite do a wild celebration, but it was, it was very clear how pleased you were with that answer, and I think it's, I think it's great to see. I, I feel like that was the moment the rivalry happened. It, was, it ceased to be us trying to make the rivalry happen, and that was the moment it it was cemented and i know you know i'm i'm wary of <laughs> i'm wary of overhyping or going too soon on the rivalry but i just loved that answer so much from sabalenka and i think she you know like i think we were saying this on monday weren't we she knows that this is her chance this is her best chance on clay to beat Svantec because of the altitude she feels like this is her backyard here and I think she feels like beating her here on clay would then give her confidence to beat her elsewhere on clay, for example, at Roland Garros. I mean, Rome as well, but obviously Roland Garros is the big one. I mean, it, it they both seem to be completely on a mission, but in two completely different ways. Sabalenka is, without doubt, dialed in, hungry, in her own words, by her own admission, desperate for revenge against Iga Svantec and to prove a point against her. And Iga Svantec is as focused and intense as I've ever seen her. Honestly, I watched her in practice warming up ahead of this match, this demolition job that we appear to be watching right now, uh, ahead of the night session tonight. Watched her in practice with her coach, Thomas Witorowski, against uh, a hitting partner, apparently quite a a well-known hitting partner that that travels um, quite a lot on the tour, not specifically with Igor Svantec, but um, for WTA players. Um, And he looked quite stressed, actually, because it was such an intense practice you know his instructions were extremely clear and there was definitely the feeling that if he messed up or didn't do a drill correctly he'd be in trouble you know this wasn't a shrug it off and make a joke type practice there it was it was zero laughs out there honestly you could this was this was a pre-match practice ahead of facing an opponent that she beat love and won the last time they f- they face that they face one another and that she beat i think one and one uh, or two and love that lost two games the the time before that that they faced one another you know a, a complete mismatch of a head to head um and yet she well, it was it was quite fearsome actually it was kind of Steffi Graf like dare i say she's even started wearing the the ankle socks which always makes me think of Steffi Graf i know that's just because it was the 90s and everybody had those socks in the 90s um before trainer socks became a thing but it the, <sighs> champions find something to motivate them don't they they achieve a goal and then you've got to find the next goal to stay hungry and Madrid feels like a real goal for her. It's a big, 
clay court tournament that she not only she never won before she'd she'd never reached a quarter final before this week she is ravenous for it and it's oh I, I look sorry Veronica Kudimitova maybe you're about to mount the comeback of all comebacks but my, I'm salivating for Saturday's final yeah they, they they both want a rivalry. Actually, I, I've, I've got another question for you, Catherine. When when you asked that question, it, look, it's a question as Matt said. We, you and I have both asked many times in in those sort of positions because it's an obvious thing to ask and it's it's the right thing to ask. But when you went into it, were you expecting her to answer like that? Yeah, I always do with athletes. Quite frankly, um, maybe with the odd exception maybe Medvedev I would ask that question sort of expecting to get a genuine honest answer but maybe a Dan Evans or something um but pretty but it was a surprise pretty much all athletes I would expect a sort of slightly brainwashed answer to and and I don't judge them for it at all you know anything you give away is a gift to your opponent but I actually don't think that, I mean, if I were Igor I mean, Igor Schwantek doesn't give two hoots about what Irina Sabalenka thinks she's, she looks so in the zone and in the bubble to me that I don't think she's even noticing who her opponents are. But um, yeah, it sent a real message, I, I think. I, I just, I really loved it. I, I, I actually, I wasn't sure, you know, usually you get told with those interviews three questions, but... Her answer to the first question was quite quite short, not in a sort of rude way, just in as she said what she had to say, and that was that. And I thought, you know, nobody was giving us the wrap-up signal, so I thought, I'll, I'll push my luck a bit here. I knew it was her birthday tomorrow, so I thought I'll ask about that, how she plans to celebrate, and she she really lit up in response to that. So I thought, oh, well, you know, one more question. I'll toss her this one just to to wrap up. And then she she gave that answer, and it was... Yeah, it was a great, it was a really great moment. And she, it was her validating my desperation to make a rivalry happen. So much appreciated, <laughs> Arena. Well, uh, if, if you look at the players they've beaten, we've had Sabalenka last night backing up the win she had over Maya Sharif. She won against uh, Maria Sakkari uh, earlier on today. Um, and then we've had... Uh, Sviantek now having beaten uh, Ekaterina Alexandrova in three really good sets, actually. That was her most competitive match of the week, wasn't it, Matt? And uh, and then Petra Martic very easily. Yeah, and actually as impressive as the Igor Sviantek demolition jobs are, I actually sort of go to the three-set win as probably the most noteworthy, the most impressive of of the tournament so far, just because that uh, that's... a uh, been missing this season you know we know that Sviantec when she's at her best can just kind of swap players aside and and beat them easily but I was quite impressed with that win against Alexandrova because she wasn't at her best and she was up against it right from the start Alexandrova is a player who likes these conditions hits the ball very flat very hard played well in Madrid last year it was it was a tricky contest for Sviantec there but and she sort of let it go a bit in the second set she probably should have won it in straight sets but then she recovered and found her game again so just thought there were a lot of good signs there I mean it was 
it was only a couple of weeks ago that she hadn't even played a three-set match this year. She's now she's now had a couple on the clay and one in Stuttgart, one here, and I just think that's all that's all helping to build the resistance. And uh, she's going to need it, I think, if she if she reaches the final, which it looks like she will do against Sabalenka, because you know in these conditions Sabalenka can can really really test her. So yeah, I think it's been a pretty perfect tournament for both players really so far. Mm-hmm does strike me as well with this match on the horizon that Alexandrova, her, I mean, I don't think Sabalenka needs anybody to give her hope as such, but if anybody was going to, maybe maybe that might because Alexandrova is a big, f- flat, powerful, darting hitter, isn't she, who who goes after the ball. I mean, she, she got to bring out some of the Sviantec defence into attack, which I love to watch from Iga. But there is a, a blueprint really there, particularly on on this court. I don't know whether it would work at Roland Garros or Rome. Yeah, I, I completely agree. That's that's definitely the blueprint. On to I mean, to an extent, it's the blueprint on any court. See Elena Rabakina, but even more so, it's the blueprint on this court. Um, I think the other blueprint is to to try and get her out of that zone, fluster her in some way. She seems so ordered and intense this week and just in a bubble, not for the first time by any means, but she it's really striking. I just think knock her off axis a bit and it could almost be a bit disorienting for her. You know, like the, I know she's, she has won three set matches now, but you know, like that record of not having played or won a three set match all year up until a couple of weeks ago, you know, she's, she's used to having it all her own way and it all being in her comfort zone. I think Sabalenka's just got to be a bit of a disruptor out there with, with Iga Svantec. Irina Sabalenka is better at going with the flow and accepting knockbacks on the court than Iga Sviantek is Sabalenka mm. is getting a little bit more Kvitova like in accepting the pitfalls of her own game. You know, p- putting yeah. the putting the disappointments uh, and the the highs and lows behind her. I think I I think that could be interesting. You know, she can get into Igor Sviantek's head a little bit. And the last time they met in the Stuttgart final, it was. It was tense, you know. I, I we're still a bit unsure as to why, whether it might have just been an on the day thing, could could be something to do with the the war in Ukraine. We honestly don't know, but it was tense. There was a little bit of spice mm. in there, so oh, give me more of that, please. Yeah, G- give me more I of can't it. Wait, that's fantastic prospect. Okay, well, we'll look forward to that if it ends up happening. I should say that Veronica could have met over and soon to be out of date. Tennis news has two break points, so this will all be irrelevant. You watch when the comeback starts. Um, what about the men? It, it's it's very easy to immediately have a look over at what Carlos Alcaraz is doing because I so often think of Alcaraz and Sviantec in the same breath in many ways. They seem to be coming along and doing very similar things in in their draws quite a lot of the time. Obviously, Sviantec's done done a lot more at this point, but um, but Alcaraz is is similarly reliable on clay and and 
similarly dominant in in so many ways at the moment. I mean, he absolutely thrashed Alexander Zverev, the loss of just three games the other day. Um, Much closer match against Karen Hachanov um, earlier on today, who has been in very good form. He got a good win over Andre Rublev and actually pushed him to a 7-5 second set. He was leading that set as well, was uh, Hachanov as well. But Alcaraz is into the semis. He's playing against Borna Choric, who's got a mullet. Uh, that that took me by surprise underneath his cap. I wasn't expecting to see a, a, a Borna Choric mullet. And I wasn't really expecting to see Borna Choric playing the level of tennis he's playing just at the moment, Matt. I mean, he, 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 he played Alejandro Davidovich Fikina the other day in a match I, I missed, but which I think was a, a thriller from, from everything I've heard. Then he beat Daniel... Altmaier very straightforwardly did Chorich last night. He doesn't get many headlines. He doesn't get many sort of Twitter mentions, I don't think, Borna Chorich. But my word, he, do, he does turn up now and again. Yeah, and I think <clears throat> emphasis on, on now and again is is probably true. And I thought he was going to have quite a big year this year. I, I felt like he was playing really good tennis at the back end of last season but I do remember something he said to me in the press conference at the Davis Cup last year, just related to how much work he has to put into his shoulder still to get himself ready, you know, to play matches. And I think sometimes it's about tolerating that and being in the right mindset to be able to cope with that on a week to week basis. And I think there's still a little bit of pain that he's in on court. He's not, I don't think he's ever going to be fully pain-free. I know that tennis players generally often play with with pain and with niggles, but it, it, it was a pretty severe thing that he went through. And um, so perhaps perhaps that is just who Chorich is now. He's going to have these, you know, stretches where we don't see him that much. And then he's going to come alive. And he did that last year winning winning Cincinnati. And he's he's done it again this year in Madrid. And you know the match against Davidovich Fakina was fantastic it it came down to basically a dead net cord kind of decided the whole thing it 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 gave Chorich a match point and there was just nothing between the two players it was a fantastic high quality match and he's he's very capable of having having these results he's got he's got a brilliant backhand his servers improved he competes so well his forehand is dodgy it's it's, it's definitely the wing that that can break down, but I think he can he can be a bit of a pest for Alcaraz when they play. Uh, I think mm. I think he can he can sort of go toe to toe with him a little bit with the movement and and try and get backhand to backhand rallies. I, I think that I think that match will be closer than a lot of Alcaraz matches, I suppose. Uh, but it's just it's just so hard to imagine anyone stopping the force that is. Alcaraz at the moment I was I was blown away by I was blown away by his confidence and his commitment to his game style I suppose against against Hachinov because it wasn't necessarily working all the time and I find it so interesting in sport that that line about you know stubbornness is it a positive or is it a negative and I just think Alcaraz has got it just right because he he trusts himself. It's belief, and he doesn't he doesn't give up playing the way he's playing if it's going wrong. He doesn't abandon it, 
and yet it doesn't just feel like he's doing the same thing over and over again and and hoping for a different result there's just there's a trust there about what he does and again he he said a line afterwards saying that I think it was to you Catherine he wants to play different tennis he wants to be fun he wants to you know make people smile and a sort of smile came across his face as well and I think that combination of trust in his own game and also this idea of it sort of kind of being a performance especially in front of the you know the Spanish crowd just makes him completely irresistible and I think I think especially at this tournament so as well as Chorich is playing and as uh, I've tried to build a case there to to make that an interesting match it just feels like Alcaraz is is on a different level hmm well, I think he is on a different level. You've actually touched on something that I took away from his match against Hachinov probably more than anything else is the smile after one of his mind-bending retrievals and point victories where he smiles in a way he not only has he enjoyed it, but he is showing off. He is mm. looking up at, at the crowd and looking up to his coach and he's saying, did you, did you see that? Did you see what I can do? It's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> and I mean, it, it is just totally infectious and, and I, can't, I can't get enough of it. Um, but um, He can't get enough of it, David. No. As well. that's, <laughs> he can't. That's the beauty of it, isn't it? It's... Is it? I mean, when you're that level you're courtside Catherine you're doing a lot of your links literally from the ground just over the other side of the advertising board from these players what is it like to watch him do his stuff from that vantage point I mean is it even more spectacular than what we see on TV when it's on yes absolutely look when I when I think of Carlos Alcaraz I still think of watching him from that position here last year, beating Djokovic and beating Nadal. Those are the matches that I think of. Those were the moments that I just reassessed where he was in my brain in terms of brilliance and what I'd witnessed up to that point with my own eyes. that, That feeling is what I think of when I think of Carlos Alcaraz. The only match of his that I've watched parts of from that position this year is his his one yesterday against Hadjanov and it just wasn't that type of match. It was a it was a slightly weird match. The conditions in it changed completely in the second set and Alcaraz was was quite thrown by it and Hadjanov was very much on top of that second set for for quite a spell there and it was very impressive problem solving from from Alcaraz to turn it around, which I think is a real feather in his cap. He's done winning in lots of different ways this week. He's had that match against Rui Savori where he was terrible, really, by his own standards for, for a set and a half, turned that around. He's had the absolutely sublime against Zverev where it was just perfection. Um, how much of that was down to, to Zverev? I don't know. That's a good that's a good matchup for Alcaraz, and Zverev didn't offer much resistance. But even so, Alcaraz was foot perfect. And then the Hashanov match, which was kind of a, a mixture of the two. So yeah, it's been it's been an interesting journey. Um, this kind of a perfect journey actually for for Alcaraz because 
that's the next progression for him, isn't it? To to win when he's playing badly and to problem solve mid-match and just not to have to rock up and be 10 out of 10 brilliant every day. So yeah. I, I think it's been a, a great tournament for him so far. I don't feel quite as optimistic as as Matt about Chorich's chances. Um, but hey, it's sport, right? <laughs> I didn't feel that optimistic about Emil Rusevori's chances and uh, there he was in a winning position. So we'll see. Okay. Uh, well, we needn't worry for the rivalry in, in the women's final because uh, the comeback is over and Veronica Kudamatova has been beaten by two breadsticks, uh, which have inserted themselves into Eager's Bakery, uh, and she is through to face Arena Sabalenka, 6161. Yes. Uh, Sorry, could have been over, but (laughs) we we all want it, don't we? We want it. You're the only one, Veronica, who doesn't want it, all right? (laughs) Uh, Now, um, if we thought Borna Chorich was a little bit of a surprising name to have in the semifinals in Madrid... How many of you had Jan Leonard Struff against Aslan Karatsev as your semi-final? Well, I don't think anybody had it after Jan Leonard Struff lost to Aslan Karatsev in qualifying. If if you picked it then, <laughs> then wow, you're a genius. Don't ever enter our predictions competitions. Um, look, I, I know it has happened before that. Um, a player will lose to somebody in qualifying, come in as a lucky loser and end up playing them in in the main draw of the tournament, you know, because of how the draw falls. I don't know if it's ever happened that they've ended up playing them in the semi semi finals of that tournament. Mm. I don't Matt's potentially doing a face that indicates he knows the answer to this and is about to ruin my speculative <laughs> stat. Over to you, Matt. Well- well, listen, I've had time on my hands. And... <laughs> oh, God. Why did you let me start down that road, Matt? Well, Great. it's not a fully formed stat, but I did find Canberra 2005 WTA event. Melinda Zink? Sink? Sink, uh, I think. Sink lost to Anna Ivanovic in the final round of qualifying. And then they met again in the final of the main draw. And Anna Ivanovic won both of those matches. So that is that is one example. But I don't know whether it's happened at this level before uh, on the men's side. But, you know, there's there, there's a slither of, of a precedent. But it is incredibly rare. We might have reached peak Matt Roberts. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> and And actually... The whole story is amazing. That whole section of the draw has been amazing. You know, we'll get we'll get on to uh, Jung Ji Jen in a minute as well because he's had some incredible results and ended up losing to to Kratsev. But these two, just in terms of their sheer quality of tennis that I've seen this week, I mean, or well, we can talk as much as we like about Alcraz, but I expect that. I, I've seen a lot of these two, and I've seen some spectacular tennis, particularly from Karatsev over the time. But I haven't seen anybody play better than these two from than the, during this tournament. Um, when I think of of the tennis that Karatsev put up to knock out Daniel Medvedev a c- 
couple of days ago. I mean, it, I compared it to like watching Andre Agassi hit the tennis ball. And I, I can think of few bigger compliments than that in terms of just the wind-up, the flourishing follow-through, the, the, how early he's taking the ball and, and, and the sheer crispness of the ball strike. I mean, he is a gorgeous ball striker. I think as clean as anybody in the sport. Um, and, and I mean, it does make me wonder how on earth he had a record last year of 17 matches won and 29 lost I mean this is but this is kind of who he's been if you think back to 2019 he was ranked 480 in the world uh two years later he was ranked 14 in the world now he's down at 121 in the world you know it's it has been that kind of journey but but when you watch him play like he's playing at the moment he it's it's just baffling to think that he he was struggling to that degree I mean Matt and I were talking about it earlier today Catherine while we were just sort of testing a few things um with our microphones and all this and and we we just our conclusion was maybe sometimes he just can't be bothered really to 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 sort of put it in or may I don't I don't know what, what what's your sense well look his calves have been the same size all the way through whether he's winning or losing like he's he's doing the calf exercises in the gym come what may from from what I can gather. Um, yeah, look, don't ask me to try and explain Aslan Karatsev is a tennis player. That's a hospital part of a question. It is, it's not possible. Um, his record last year is particularly inexplicable, David, given that he started the year by winning the title in Sydney, um, beating oh, right. Andy Murray in the final, a match that Matt and I watched in Melbourne on the telly in our Airbnb and he was astonishing that day absolutely astonishing it was it was Agassi like exactly as you say we were Matt and I were marveling at the level he he produced you know Andy Murray was in great form that week and it was a great opportunity for him but there was nothing he could have done that day against Aslan Karatsev and it felt like Oh, okay. Aslan Karatsev's doing his twenty twenty one thing again, but let's all settle in for Aslan Karatsev being a thing, and then he just pretty much disappeared for reasons I'm not even going to try to explain. But here he is again, popping his head above the parapet and just being, yeah, looking like Andre Agassi and being <laughs> completely nonchalant about it. You know, his whole his whole vibe is I went to toilet. You know, that is <laughs> that's him, isn't it? You know, asking him to explaining himself and him just sort of shrugging and going, What, I went to the toilet, what of it? I'm just I'm just doing me. Um I won the tennis match. I played incredible yeah. tennis. Yeah, I mean I'm gonna do that sometimes. Sometimes it happens. Yeah. I don't understand <laughs> it, but my goodness me, he can look world beating when he's on. Yeah, he he can. And actually, that's pretty much what I would have to say about what I saw from Jan Leonard Struff tonight, Matt, because he beat Stefanos Tsitsipas despite losing the second set 7-5, which could break a lot of players, couldn't it? And yet, I, I don't know what his coach was saying. I don't speak German. But just in terms of body language, he was the most <laughs> positive and upbeat man I've seen I've seen since I looked in the mirror last and I mean, he was giving it large over to uh, to Struff, who 
I, I heard in the commentary is 33 years of age now, and he played lights out tennis on a clay court. Now, I know it's a quick one with altitude and everything else, but he's serving bombs. He's charging into the net. He was absolutely thrashing at his forehand. Didn't seem to matter what Sidsapas gave him as a ball. To they, Some of these balls were not attackable. <laughs> he was attacking them. Oh, it was great to watch. I I was surprised and enthralled by this match uh he he sort of played a grass court match on a clay court and i think madrid mm. helped him the altitude the fast paced conditions sort of allowed him to do that but he was coming into the net he was you know taking the ball early uh midway through the third set he just started hitting his backhand like novak djokovic which which helped him and he just hit these incredible winners up the line <laughs> just a bit <laughs> I, just, I just don't understand where that came from it was extraordinary and every time he was in trouble you know even just a sort of 30 all point he just came up with a big serve or a really gutsy play and he just kept coming and he just kept bringing it and um you know, you sort of mentioned his player box. A very striking aspect of the match was was the difference between the two player boxes and and the energy coming out of them. As you said, so positive, so upbeat from from Struve's team. But Sitsipas, I feel for him actually on on court. You know, his 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 dad is talking all the time, and his mum sitting behind his dad, seemingly telling his dad off. Uh, it's it's really hard, and I know um, some of the analysis from the commentary I was listening to, and Daniela Hantikova, for example, was was sort of praising Sitsipas for sort of how how calm he was, and 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 I totally understood that, but I did also think that he looked worn down by it and just just flat, and I think that has been you know, kind of what Sitsipas has been in the last few months. I think a lot of it is, you know, injury-related. He he hasn't been feeling his best. He's he's not been able to play his best. There still wasn't peak Sitsipas today. But that combination of the coaching setup, the injury, just all is not quite right in the Sitsipas world. And Struff just pounced on him and just, and just took advantage and exploited the areas of the game that we know that Sitsipas still has to improve on, like the backhand and... Yeah, it was it was a stunning performance, and I think, you know, logically you would think if anyone's going to stop Carlos Alcaraz, it would be you know the highest ranked player left on the other half, and it would be Sitsipas, and you know with all his clay court pedigree. But actually, I'm thinking Karatsev and Struve feel like much more dangerous players for Alcaraz with their big games than. Sitsipas at the moment, who we've seen Alcaraz, you know, he beat him just just a week or so ago, and yeah, I think if we're looking for someone to beat Alcaraz, it might be Aslan Karatsev out of nowhere with his with his you know Andre Agassi taking the ball early, rendering the opponent meaningless game, or it might be <laughs> Jan Lennard Struff with his sort of come at the net, come at you big game as well, and I think you know either of those would be quite intriguing matchups. He looks exhausted, Sitsipas, to me. Exhausted and jaded a little. Mm-hmm. Um, and how could he not be? Everything that Matt said about, you know, what's going on. And, if you know, if that that's how they are when the cameras are on 
You know, that's the tiny little snapshot that we're getting. I mean, look, I, I, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but it feels like it might be chaos um, and tiring and add the, the shoulder injury that he's managing in, into that. And I'm still not convinced that he's managing that optimally. Um, look, he knows his body better than I do, but um, it still seems to be a factor. I, I don't know how big a factor, but, you know, he keeps saying that I've got to play for ranking points and and prize money and bonuses and sponsors and all of that. But every single tennis player is in that position when they get injured. And obviously it's horrible getting injured, but it is a fact of being a professional sports person and... You know, it's a very short-termist outlook to, you know, it could, could, windows are, windows are small, you know, or they, they certainly can be small. Um, you know, you've, you've got, you've got all the time in the world until you don't. Um, and I don't know, I, I do, I feel for him. I, I feel for him. I, you know, part of me thinks, well, this is what he's doing with, all of this going on, you know, still reaching quarterfinals with a shoulder injury and with seeming chaos behind the scenes and not playing his best tennis and all the rest of it. But then I think, gosh, imagine what he could be doing. Um, and it's it's a, he's a he's an interesting case study at the moment. I think I don't know I don't know what the immediate future holds for for Stefanos Tsitsipas. Mm. Yeah, the next month or so will be very interesting in his world. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or on your smart TV in HD. Sounds great. There's genuinely nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere. And can I just sit and watch court shows in Longland all day? You sure can, David. Wherever the stories are, the rivalries emerge and the generations clash, you can watch it all with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Be there when it happens by subscribing to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. The order of play tomorrow looks 
fantastic really uh, uh in terms of the doubles and the singles it starts with jessica bagula and coco goff uh, up against uh rusa and kostyuk uh, bagula and goff just keep on bringing it they, they've um got through to the semis beating luisa stefani so they must be in form um, and her higher. partner gabby dobrovsky 10 10 5 in the third some um higher. Tell you, um, and then it's Alcaraz Chorich. Anybody, th- anybody think there's going to be a surprise there at all? No, no, no. Okay, uh, and then Strofan Karatsev. Is that going to be a repeat or a revenge? <sighs> this is. I, 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 f- I find this really fascinating um, mm. because presumably they'll they'll both watch that match that they played what 10 days or so ago and now Kraus will go oh that that was good past Aslan do do that again and Jan Leonard will go that wasn't great was it um let's do something different um but then does As- <sighs> then does Aslan think well Jan Leonard's going to do something different so maybe I need to anticipate the the different thing he's going to do and then I then I think actually scrap all of that like they're both just going to do what they what got them here, right? You know, like I'm not sure Jan Lindstrom's B game is. I don't I don't know what Jan Lindstrom's B game looks like, quite frankly. But I think basically Karatsev is going to do his thing and hope to perform to same the same level. Strift will do his thing and hope to f- perform better than he did in their previous match. So forget everything that I just said. <laughs> it's like taking a second penalty kick in the same game. It is exactly that. Although, Matt, we're not talking about football. Move on quickly, David. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Football is sorry. trash. Bad luck, ready. Next next year, luck, you'll be though, back. It? It's just um, horror. Harry Kane missed his second penalty, didn't he, in the, in the mm. World Cup? Yeah. Um, Moving on do, from football, uh, David. Do, so... So, as as I said, I say Karatsev will win. What do you two say? I think Karatsev as well. Yeah, because because of that match they played in qualifying, honestly. Okay. Um, if yeah. I, if it was just on the basis of what I'd seen tonight, I would be really torn. But um, that was their only previous meeting, so I'll go with that, Karatsev. Mm. Okay, all right, fine. And then He's the, Andre the, Agassi the fourth after match all, the... David. <laughs> oh, yeah. Fourth match of the day is um, actually Struff reminded me a bit of Sampras today. Oh, I can't <laughs> wait. This is going to be great. So, um, the fourth match of the day tomorrow is Victoria Azarenka and Beatriz Haddad Meyer against Taylor Townsend and Leila Fernandez. That's a great. That's going to be tomorrow night. Great doubles match, isn't it? Love that. That's awesome. Yeah, I can't wait for that. And the one other doubles match uh, that I haven't told. Well, the two other doubles matches I haven't told you about in the men's draw because they're at the semi-final stages as well. We've got. I can um, tell you, David. Go on. I can tell you what the men's doubles final is going to be. It oh, is okay. Rohan Bapana and Matt Ebden, who were inexplicably having sort of one of the best years of all time. Um, uh, they beat, who did they beat? I think they beat uh, Santiago Gonzalez and Santiago Gonzalez's partner. Roger Vasselin. Edouard Roger, Roger Vasselin. They beat them today. So that was the Indian Wells champions beating the Miami champions and Karen Hashinov and Andre Rublev who of course played in singles earlier this week 
They have reached the men's doubles final together and they beat Marcelo Aravalo and Jean-Julien Roger. So it'll be yes. Hashanov Rublev right. against Bapana and Ebden. Well done. Good, jo- good job. We got there. Good Thanks job. To you. With apologies to Edouard Roger Vasselin. <laughs> <laughs> Briefly forgotten at uh, quarter to one in the morning in Madrid. Um, talking of Madrid, just generally, um, we have been absolutely inundated by emails and messages on social media this week from listeners. Some shocked, all of them disgusted at Madrid's ball girl policy and um, just one email received tonight from Rachel Ross says um, I'm watching the Madrid tournament with mixed feelings the tennis has been enthralling but oh dear god what's with the model ball girls it's unbelievable or maybe not that this is all allowed to happen at tournaments that this is still allowed to happen at tournaments Madrid being a repeat offender um, I don't really know where to start other than say this has been going on a long time and it feels like it's getting worse really uh, this year. Um, Catherine, start by telling us what we're talking about and and why it's a problem. Yeah, I mean, gosh, it was a long time ago now, wasn't it? The Madrid introduced what it thought was going to be a brilliant... Um, policy scheme I don't know what you'd call it to have models as ball girls female models as ball girls on men's matches Um, and there was some backlash about that because well I would hope there would be some backlash about that and there was and their response to that was don't worry we'll have we'll employ male models to be ball boys on women's matches um which is the most pathetic understanding of sort of trying to correct sexism ever for a number of reasons i mean that is not objectifying men is not the answer to objectifying women for starters and also the two things are absolutely not equivalent men do not live in a world where it is a daily struggle to be taken seriously for anything other than your appearance. I'm not saying it's right for men to be objectified, certainly not in this type of forum. That's not the place for it at all. But the two things are absolutely not equivalent. Um, That has been the case for some time, that models have have been employed as ball girls and ball boys. Um, This year, it seems to have attracted renewed attention because of the outfits that the model ball girls are being required to wear, which is short skirts, sort of, you know, fine, normal, you know, they're kind of tennis skirts and crop tops. Um, And look, crop tops are very much in fashion. I I realise that. All the kids are wearing crop tops. You go into a high street shop and it's it's really hard to find a top that doesn't seem like uh, there is some material missing from it. Um, and sort of in principle, I don't have a huge issue with that. It's that in combination with the employment of models because... 
you sort of the implication is that there's a certain body standard required to wear what's in fashion um and i think it just feeds into a total body negativity body conformity uh, narrative the whole thing is just horrible and toxic and out of date quite frankly i really think that we've we as a society not universally but generally speaking are moving on from this um and i just think it's you know I, i'm i'm sure it's not a surprise to anybody how i feel about this but trying to be objective about it i think it's really naff and uncool i really think that we've moved on and it just, just don't do it. Just don't do it. And if, and if anybody thinks, oh, but they're employing male models as well, so it's all fine. If that is your understanding of trying to correct sexism and the patriarchy, then do better. Everybody just do better. And yeah, it does. My heart sinks a bit. I, I walk past them all the time. And they're all doing a cracking job. You know, it's absolutely nothing against them. But I, I have to walk past them sort of in their holding position when they're waiting to go on court to to get to my presentation position. And my heart sinks every time I do. It makes me feel sad and uncomfortable. Um, and I think we need to move on. I think it that it's not appropriate. Well, Rachel was hoping that uh, we might be able to produce a, a, a suitable rant um, to, to discuss this issue. Uh, any any notes, Matt, that you'd like to add? Uh, no notes to Catherine's uh, excellent, excellent speech there. I mean, as you said, it's, it's a thing that has happened for years. I think it was introduced under the ownership of Yontiriac, wasn't it, in Madrid? And, you know, you don't you don't have to do much googling to find out whether he's a feminist or not and um i think there's an element there's an element this year as well where where they're using these model ball girls only on the high profile men's matches and then on other matches there are there are other ball kid teams in different attire and you know, it just feels not at all empowering and completely objectifying as as though they're there to be looked at, as though they're there for show. And it is it is horrible, I think. And as as Catherine said, it's it's so outdated. You know, F F one got rid of grid girls, didn't they, in what was it, twenty eighteen, I think? And, you know, that seemed very, very late. And, you know, walk on girls in, in darts or in, in boxing and and tennis is still doing this. I, I just think it's. I just think it's awful, to be honest. So yeah, sorry. There were a few notes. <laughs> you did have notes. Great notes. <laughs> they were great notes, Matt. I couldn't agree more. And listen, judging by all the correspondence we've been getting, we're not alone. Um, and and that at least is pleasing. Um, final note for today in today's show is a very sad one and that is the news that Emma Raducanu is not going to play the French Open she's not going to play Wimbledon she may well not play the US Open she may not may well not play again this year because she is um, currently recovering from a surgery 
and um, there are a couple of more on the way as well. She she wrote a, a handwritten diary note on her Instagram uh, account yesterday in which she wrote, Hey, it's safe to say that the last 10 months have been difficult as I dealt with a a recurring injury in a bone uh, of on on a bone of both hands. I tried my best to manage the situation, the pain, um, and get through it most of this year and the end of last year by reducing um, the play that she's been playing and um, and and missing parts of training as well um, and cutting sessions short but uh, it hasn't been enough she said she she admitted that she's been downplaying the issue and uh, and just trying to get through it but she's she finally admitted defeat in that and and decided to take the plunge and have this this surgery um, Simon Briggs in the Telegraph uh, went on to to put a bit more information on what we knew and and said that uh that she's suffering from carpal boss carpal bosses i'm not sure exactly how to say that he says they're bo- bony growths on the back of the wrist which would not be a problem for any ordinary citizen but which can cause inflammation when combined with repetitive actions such as swinging rackets or golf or golf clubs um surgery for this condition is reasonably simple simply involves shaving down or cutting off the cutting out the offending bump while any operation is best avoided this sounds like a more positive diagnosis than out and out tendinitis which can be extremely difficult to treat so it sounds as though you know hopefully there's there's a good prognosis for the future she's also going to have a, an ankle procedure uh, over the next few weeks as well i mean i think my my first reaction is on a physical level um i think i'm relieved that she's just taking decisive action to try to get her issues sorted out once and for all because it's it's been really depressing the last 18 months seeing her try to play show what she's capable of in in bits and fits and starts and then not be able to anymore. But then there's another level, I think, Catherine, in which having heard her interview, her very short, very awkward interview that she she gave at the start of this tournament, in, in which, frankly, when I heard it and I actually heard the audio file, frankly, she sounded plain rude in her answers to me at the time. But this tells me that there was a lot more to her reactions at that point and and I think just generally she's she sounds like she's been struggling uh, and uh, struggling with these injuries struggling with everything and well I feel for her I hope she gets better soon and feels happy and the sort of person that, that I'm sure she's capable of being as a tennis player in the future. Yeah, I I had the same. I heard the audio same as you did, and and I felt uncomfortable with. I mean, there's no other word for it. She she did come across rudely, but you know, my my reaction to to that was she's not okay. You know that that wasn't the sound of a young woman that's okay, and I was really worried about her upon hearing that. And you know, see previous discussion about Stefano Sitsipas for. The pressure that players are under to, if if a if it's not clear cut with an injury as to to whether you can play, you know, if you are if it's an injury you are able to play with, there is pressure as an athlete to continue playing for you know, 
whatever it might be, for sponsors, for ranking points, for um, prize money, for bonus money, for, um, you know, you might be supporting your family, whatever, whatever it might be, there is pressure and I think it can be very hard to see the wood for the trees um, and I think this is quite a brave decision from from Emma Adekanu given all that and I felt quite a lot of as sad as I am you know to see her in her hospital bed we had already been privy to sort of hearing that audio and knowing that she wasn't okay that something quite serious was up and it was almost a relief to me to find out what it was and as you say David that she's taken decisive action about it and while I'll really miss her on the tour because I just love watching her play tennis I really really do and I I didn't know that about her when she won the US Open because I hadn't watched her play live I've learned that since her winning the US Open I really love her tennis um, and I will miss mm. it but I really think both for her and for us as fans of hers, this is short-term pain for for long-term gain. And the thought of, I don't know, I'm already picturing us in Melbourne, start of 2024 and looking forward to her coming back and seeing her for the first time afresh. And I'm willing to take the hit now because it's all about me emma uh, i'm willing to take the hit now and over the next few months for for the prospect of of that and a longer term future yeah very well said very well said okay well i think it's high time uh catherine whittaker got some sleep because it's gonna be another big day in madrid tomorrow um matt is going to be up late editing this. <laughs> Are you looking forward to that, Matt? Don't answer that. Um. <laughs> well, I guess the listeners won't know this because it would have been edited, but very few stumbles from us today. So <laughs> all good. Oh. Okay, great. All right. Okay. Well, I will end by reminding you that my mascot is Maisie. Catherine's mascot is Xenia. Matt's is the lovely Darwin. Uh, Billie Jean is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. We have our top folks and executive producers, as always, Jamie, Hannah and Drew. We couldn't do with this without you. Uh, we'll save our shout-outs and our, epi- and our episode mascots for Monday because I think we're all a bit, a bit whacked out. <laughs> so we're going to go and have a rest and uh, we'll be back with another tennis podcast at the conclusion of Madrid. I think we're in for a good few days. No one wants a, a tired shout out, do they? We'd be we'd be doing no, them don't. a disservice. We would get emails. We would. We would get emails. We get emails anyway. <laughs> we do. We love your emails, most of them. Good night, folks. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.